We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. This episode's brought to you by sports.axios.com. It's a good little sports newsletter I signed up for a couple weeks ago. You'd be helping the show out, helping the network out. Uh, it's a good way for me, as I get so immersed in basketball, to stay on top of everything else that's happening in the sports world that I don't follow as closely. And it's a nice, you know, little couple minutes to do that. So please check them out when you get a chance. Um, Basketball's back. Unfortunately, not the way that we wanted it to be. Lakers fell to the Clippers on opening night, 112 to 102. Uh, I believe it was kind of an important game. This is not something where I plan on overreacting to every game this season, but on opening night, everybody's playing hard. And that was a much anticipated matchup that I think that you at least got everybody's best effort, if not their best execution. And the, you know, the Lakers were kept at arm's distance for most of that game. We discussed in the last show the idea that the Lakers have one of, if not the most effective weapon, potentially, in the NBA with the LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll. In last night's game, there wasn't a whole lot of it, or at least it didn't feel that way. What ended up happening is the Clippers were switching those ball screens, and the Lakers generally tried to attack those by attacking them in the post. And with mixed results, Kevin O'Connor tweeted out that the Lakers scored 1.3 points per possession out of the post last night, which was fantastic. They posted up, I think, 27 times total, which is just a ton in the modern NBA. Um, So I I don't want to act like that didn't work, but it didn't certainly feel like 
they neutralize that two-man game that we've been looking forward to. And if everything's kind of built around this central thing being dominant to unstoppable, if that doesn't work, it feels like kind of the whole infrastructure of what the Lakers are trying to do falls apart. So with all of that said, Darius, what were your observations from how the dynamic of that two-man game played out? Well, I think it's funny because the way that you laid it out right there and my first thought was, what two-man game? Because the Clippers essentially made it a one-on-one game. Yeah, made it a one-man game here and a one-man game there. Yeah. One of the reasons why we were excited on the last podcast when we talked about the two-man game, and it wasn't even necessarily just the pick and roll, although we highlighted that a bunch, was the idea that the the trigger at the point of attack and the ability to sort of get Davis downhill with LeBron potentially turning the corner start to occupy multiple defenders, which then opens up a bunch of different things besides just chances for both LeBron and or Davis to get to the front of the rim for scoring opportunities, right? And, and so by switching the screens or by effectively going under screens against LeBron, LeBron, basically the Clippers made it into a one-on-one matchup, either with LeBron still keeping his dribble and looking then to attack in an isolation situation or by featuring Davis on a post-up with some sort of, you know, awkward lob into the post and then asking Davis to create one-on-one. I think Both of those things then play against the strengths of Davis and LeBron as individual players, like turning LeBron into a jump shooter, which is not the best part of his game, even though it's improved by leaps and bounds over the years. And one of the key stats that you and I discussed in the lead up to the season was like a really high number of Anthony Davis's field goals have been assisted over the years. And by turning Davis in to a post player, it sort of makes him into an all-the-time shot creator for, for himself, which he can clearly do against a bunch of different types of defensive players either facing up off of the dribble all of the way out to the three-point line or by powering through smaller defenders. And there are advantages to that. He drew a bunch of fouls and went to the free throw line 14 times. So there were a bunch of benefits that came out of the Lakers style that, that they played. But when you listen to Frank Vogel talk One of the points of emphasis that he's made, and and you've been in these scrums, Pete, where he talks about, you know, we want to be an extra pass team. And the way you become an extra pass team is by creating advantage offensively to the point where you're drawing an extra defender so that the ball gets kicked out, swing, close out, extra pass, wide open shot, or a good drive against a closeout. And those are the types of things we did not see a lot of last night outside of maybe some of Danny Green's baskets. So I want to get back to Vogel in a bit and that idea of the extra pass. But what I first want to address is what you started with, that idea of they made it a one-on-one type of game. And that's something where in the previous pod we discussed 
you know, it's not just the individual talents of LeBron or AD. It's that AD can operate off of LeBron and LeBron can operate off of AD. So it becomes this force multiplier was the term that I used was it's not just them by themselves, but what they do together starts to build upon each other. And then that's what's going to create open shots. The the weakness, the shared weakness, I should say, between LeBron James and Anthony Davis, if they have one, is their jump shooting. AD is shooting so badly from the perimeter since the preseason, right? Like, his his jumper is just not falling. Um, I need to take a closer look at perhaps some of the reasons why, especially if it persists. But when you combine that with LeBron's approach to that game was to be very aggressive. LeBron LeBron tried to do too much in that game. Aggressive and off of the dribble is what yes, you mean, right? Not aggressive right. as a scorer where he's looking to create shots all over the floor. He was very much a head down, get to the paint play. Drive into so- the paint. That, that's a good distinction. I should be more specific. He was aggressive looking, trying to get into the paint and into the teeth of the defense. But that's exactly what the Clippers were trying to take away. I saw time after time on tape available jump shots for LeBron. He went one for five from three, which suggests that there were probably times where he's like, hey, my jumper's not falling tonight. I'm not going to take this shot. He probably should have taken nine or 10 threes just based on how they were defending him. And so if AD's jumper isn't falling and if LeBron's isn't falling and he's not trusting it and isn't taking the attempts that he should be, this is probably a good template for what the floor of that combo will look like. I was really excited because it, it, it was a really good game. It was well played. It felt like higher level basketball than we've seen in a long time. The there was a good intensity won. to it the really game. It really was. Yes. And, and that's why I took some importance out of the game, even though it's just one game at the very beginning of the season, is because that intensity was certainly there and it wasn't just supplied by the crowd. So let's get back to Frank Vogel and that idea of the extra pass. One of my complaints with the continued post-ups is there was no action off of that, right? They're split cutting, which they were doing very well in the preseason, which is usually you'll throw that post-entry pass and then the two nearest perimeter players, the guy who threw that pass and the guy next to him, will come together and cut to the basket and one will pop out. And there was very little of that. It was a lot of standing around. So that idea of there being extra passes is there needs to be the advantage created in the first place. I didn't think AD did a particularly good job of establishing deep post position. Um, That's something that may be just kind of how AD is. and, And that is something that is something to keep an eye on in these higher intensity types of games. Because the way he beats smaller players is by being longer than them, not being being stronger than them. So if he's getting his post catch 16, 17 feet away from the basket, as he frequently did in that game, and his jumper isn't falling, he's a much more guardable type of player. So my question for you goes back to Vogel is, is there anything you think he could have done differently to take advantage of what the Clippers were doing? So are you talking about X's and O's or are you talking, let's start X's and O's. Sure. So one of the things that you were talking about, even as simple as like that split cut action, one of the things that I thought about the Lakers post-ups is that they were inorganic post-ups, right? And so it was this idea of we're going to, on certain levels, try to fabricate mismatches or mismatch hunt, right? And so pick and roll, go under the screen, pick and roll, switch, 
oh, Anthony Davis is just sort of here. I bet when you rewatch the tape, how many wrong angle post-entry passes oh, did God. you see? There were five. Where they were almost like, cr like cross-court. For the listeners, how are you supposed to throw that pass? And so... The way that you create an angle for a post-up is, and Lakers fans who have watched the Lakers for a long time would understand this maybe from triangle action, right? Yeah, I was going to say Phil's head would have exploded watching those post-entry passes in that game. Yes, because what you want to do is you want to dribble to the strong side in order to create a passing angle to then enter the post, Right. And what LeBron was doing a fair amount, LeBron especially, was he was standing near the top of the key area. And like, so the free throw line is divided by a nail. There's a nail right in the middle of the free throw line. And so a lot of times you'll hear coaches talk about like, get to the nail or there'll be actions around the nail. And that's what they mean. It's like right in the center of the foul line. And so if AD is posting up on the left-hand block, LeBron was often standing right on the nail, basically like out to the three-point line or even to the right of that and trying to make a post-entry pass to like the elbow, the left side elbow at times. And that's just a bad angle for an entry pass. So one of the things that you were talking about in terms of even setting up the split cut action, the split cut action is going to happen when there's a ball side post entry and then you create the angle off of that split cut in in order to create a screen action for a shooter to come to circle back towards towards the ball or for the screener to then slip that screen and dive to the basket. Okay, Darius, can I jump in real quick y yes. just on the uh, building on that idea of post entry passes? To put it simply, you want your post entry passes to happen from the free throw line extended and lower heading toward the corner. Anything above that, unless you can make that entry pass to the high post, to the elbow, it, f between the lane lines, right? From the top of the key, that's where you'll get a horn set, a post-entry pass, but that's the high post. If you're trying to get a pass down into the low block, which is what the Lakers wanted to do to exploit these switches where you've got smaller guys on AD, those those passes have to come from the wing, the wing being the free throw line extended, and below. And the Lakers were not doing that from those positions. Yes, there were just a lot of bad angle and flat angle post-entries, which play to the defense's advantage, especially when they're operating in half fronts or full fronts or even core quarter fronts, right? To, to sort of disrupt the catch. Anthony Davis, even when he was making post catches, some of them weren't clean. You know, that's not because of his hands, right? He's got excellent hands, but he fumbled a fair amount of passes. And that's just because the defense was sort of getting up into him and disrupting his, his catch angle on these bad angle post post entries. So there was that aspect. Vogel, I feel like, said to his team, seemingly, we're going to attack through the post. They did it from the opening possession, but they did it with LeBron on Patrick Beverly, right? Which, mm -hmm. which, which is a real mismatch. But whenever Davis had Jermichael Green on him, or if he had Mo Harkless, if he had Harkless on him, Vogel clearly wanted to like, let's work through the post. But just like you said, there wasn't any action off of that, like not even weak side exchanges between the wings or even like flare screens or really 
much of anything. The only guy who was trying to do any of that was Jared Dudley. And you could tell that's just because that's sort of in his DNA as a player. It didn't look like that was schematic or part of the action that Frank Vogel was saying, this is what we want to do on any given play. And to speak more to your question about deep post catches from Anthony Davis, we didn't really see any big to big screen action or any sort of guard to big screen actions to to sort of get Davis on the move to make catches. When we had coach Gibson Piper on the podcast earlier this offseason, one of the things that we talked about in terms of Vogel's offensive schemes were sort of a lot of screen actions in order to get his bigs moving towards, towards the ball. There really wasn't a lot of that this game. So I thought from a schematic standpoint, I thought Vogel was a little bit too simple. Like, yes, I'm all for getting the ball to your best players and letting them create something. But I don't think he did enough necessarily to set them up in ideal ways to get catches in positions on the floor or on the move where they could attack a defense that was less set. So building on that idea, some of the ways, aside from simple matchup hunting, that you can beat a switch are slip screens and back screens slash flare screens, which you brought up. Now, slip screens work because for the same reason that those back screens and flare screens work in that there's that moment on defense where they have to communicate the switch, right? I'm no longer defending this guy. I'm defending that guy instead. What happens if you set, so say you set a flare screen, if you're familiar with my videos, I talk about wide pin down screens a lot, right? And that's something where you're gonna have a guy on the wing set a screen for a guy in the corner, most of the time, that's a wide pin down. This is the reverse of that. So the guy from the corner is gonna set a back screen or a flare screen for the guy on the wing. Well, now the defender on your wing defender is on the guy that's setting the screen, right? That's why you switch, is to blow up the screening game. The problem with that is, is that guy who is in the corner is now behind the guy who's defending him. The guy who's defending him, if you played basketball, even at a low level, stay between your man and and the basket, right? That isn't happening in that moment. So you set that quick back screen. Brandon Ingram was really good at this. And we would do this not nearly enough, but he'd set the back screen, but then cut right to the basket. And you've got a good look right there. That's something that Kuz will be able to uh, really exploit. And and we should be better when we get Kuz back in that respect. Those slip screens, same type of thing, right? Is that you take advantage of that moment where they're making the transition from I'm guarding this guy to I'm guarding that guy after the switch. So there was just not enough of that between that, the split cut action, uh, and just overall movement off of the post-ups to really take advantage of of what the Lakers could have done. So uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the things we've been talking about before the season started, now actually being able to see them in a real game. So we'll be back in a sec. Following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. 
Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. That's sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on their day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. And while we're here, Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. They're sending me a custom purple shirt to my dimensions, and everything looks better when it's custom fitted. Uh, we've got really high quality stuff, and I'm excited to get my my purple shirt coming soon. Uh, Indochino is the largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they're affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can also get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. That's one word, Blue Wire. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Blue Wire, for $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. All right, Darius, so we talked a lot about the Lakers guards, right, and the talent that they have on their roster in in that position perhaps being a weakness, and that they're about one wing short, which is exacerbated by Kyle Kuzma's absence. I felt like both of those things were on display in this game against the Clippers. The guards really got jammed up. Some of those bad entry passes came from Quinn Cook. Uh, The just general ball handling, getting into our offense, it was, I know we're going to talk about Rondo, and I hate to say this, Lakers miss Rondo in that game because that ball handler creator type is exactly what you need to beat that pressure. And a guy like Cook, who's kind of a glorified two guard, that's exactly what's going to take him away. So, and, and Avery Bradley fits this description from a ball handling perspective as well. Troy Daniels, so, Troy KCP. Daniels, KCP. Our guards can't dribble, right? That That is really what it comes down to. They traded even- shooting. They traded shooting for ball handling and playmaking. And it's like the complete inverse of what last year's roster was. Right. That's right. And so th- that really came on display. And then Kawhi just abused abused KCP. I put out a video today, the day we're recording this on Wednesday, and there's a whole segment on Kawhi, like he went seven for eight when KCP, or when Danny Green was off the floor and KCP was on, and uh, I think four for 11 when he four for tw- was on the floor. Four for 12. Yes, yeah. So it, it was it was a notable difference, and it wasn't just a, oh, that's an incidental stat. KCP was guarding him, and he's just not tall enough. It's not even a KCP problem like KCP was freaking awful in that game him not being big enough to contest Kawhi's shots is not something I have a problem with him about right he's just not capable of doing that Lakers started going to a strong side zone sending one more defender to that side of the court Kawhi made the right read made skip passes all of a sudden we're giving up threes on the other side of the court as a result of the fact that KCP cannot guard Kawhi Leonard so 
all of that said, those weaknesses being exploited, did you see the same thing I saw? And if so, what were your takeaways? For, is, this, is this something to worry about going forward? Yes, I saw the same thing. There is something to worry about big picture because it's the same thing we worried about before the season started, right? We knew this was a weakness. The Clippers specifically, though, are designed to exploit these specific weaknesses, right? And so mm. when you look at a Lakers versus Clippers matchup, the Lakers, I think, have the ability to attack a couple of specific weaknesses on the Clippers roster. And I think that the Clippers are specifically designed to take advantage of a couple of the weaknesses on the Lakers roster. Darius, can you get into real quick the what you think the Lakers could take advantage of from a weaknesses standpoint? How can the second time around be different? So LeBron and Davis did not play well. Davis got numbers, and I think that you know, when you take everything in to affect his 25 and 10, the amount of fouls that he drew and everything like that, like he played fine. I thought LeBron had a below average LeBron game. Right. So the Lakers are a bigger and stronger team. They just have more size. And you saw that at the very beginning of the game against the Clippers, right? Where the Lakers built up an 11 point lead and they looked good. They looked in control. It looked very similar actually to what the Lakers preseason looked like somewhat against like the Warriors. They were really physically overwhelming. Yes, they were. So I think the Lakers and the way that they are constructed, they are built to sort of punish even big teams inside, right? Doc Rivers started a big team. He went with Patrick Patterson at power forward. He And then he started Zubots at center. The Lakers were still too big and too strong for that lineup as well, right? And so I think that the Lakers size can really give the Clippers problems if they're going to play with force. As the game went on, I thought Harrell's activity and the physicality of the Clippers' wings started to neutralize some of the Lakers' advantages in terms of size. And I also think that Dwight Howard get, getting in foul trouble was actually problematic. I thought that JaVale McGee just didn't bring it with enough force this game. He's yeah. not... He's not a forceful player overall, but he did not utilize the the strengths of his size, basically. Do like, what you can do, like exert your will in the way that you're capable. And he didn't do that. And he didn't. He didn't crash the boards very, well, very hard. He didn't sprint the middle lane offensively, right, to sort of draw more attention down to the paint. He wasn't a force on the defensive backboards, Right. So there were a bunch of things that I thought the Lakers did not do well within the construct of their roster that they can be loads better at that will be problematic for this Clippers team. So I think that there are ways to take advantage of the Clippers with that size. I also thought the Lakers did a pretty good job of creating some really good open shots that they just didn't hit. Like Danny Green hit a bunch of shots, right? And that was great. Quinn Cook did not. 
Troy Daniels did not. Jared Dudley hit his threes, but they did not come in the sort of flow with the gummed up offense that the Lakers were running. So I know earlier in the game you or earlier in the pod, you said that they were kept at arm's length for a fair amount of the game. And that's true. They lost a game by 10. They also went went up by 11 early. They went on multiple like 10-2, 8-0 runs. They found pieces of rhythm throughout the game where they showed that they're more than capable of competing with or beating this Clippers team. The problem was they just didn't have the defense. And this is where we can get back to Vogel some because I thought that he didn't necessarily prioritize defensive lineups against some of the better offensive players that the Clippers had out on the floor during the times of the game where they started to do well. Doc did a good job of avoiding Danny Green with Kawhi, right? Because he knew that Danny Green was the only guy that the Lakers have on their roster if LeBron is not going to take on this responsibility that could just bother Kawhi at all, right? Like the the jumpers that Kawhi was getting against KCP, he may have been alone in the gym, right? Just wide open looks relative to where the contest is. He did do one thing at the end of the game that the game was you know, Lakers were eight, 10 points behind at the time. And it was looking like they weren't going to win. So it was easy to miss. Did you notice who he Vogel put on Kawhi down the stretch? He put Anthony Davis on him. He put Anthony Davis on him. And it worked really well. He blocked a shot. He looked like he could move with him. The game was basically lost. Like, I wouldn't say it was lost at that point, but it was, you you know, those old commercials where the or those old cartoons where the elephant is has his trunk wrapped around a daisy over the end of the cliff, like over the edge of the cliff. That That's what it was at that point. It would have literally taken perfect execution on both ends of the floor to even get the game within a one possession. game. They actually defended well down the stretch. They only scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, and that's why that game was lost after Danny Green went nuts in the third quarter and, you know, it was tied going into the fourth. But I thought that was super interesting, right? We've talked a bit about LeBron maybe in a series against the Clippers having to step up and defend Kawhi. I hadn't thought Anthony Davis, but it makes a lot of sense. My girl Janie, she brought up a good point earlier today when she was like, remember when Kobe, like the kind of guys, when Kobe would struggle, it'd be your like Karolenkos and these kind of longer rangier guys. Cause yes. similar to Kobe, Kawhi is not fast. And that's how you would beat somebody like Anthony Davis in that one-on-one situation. Kawhi doesn't have that type of foot speed. It's built off of strength and remarkable triple threat skills, right? So that's why he's going to eat up a KCP, but you can kind of envelop Kawhi with Anthony Davis. And I thought that was a super interesting adjustment that if we're going to talk about the, well, why would it be any different next time? Why would it be any different with Paul George in the lineup? Why would it be any different in a seven-game series that... If it is a seven-game series, can you, you know, essentially assign Anthony Davis to Kawhi in the minutes that Danny Green is off of the floor, but Kawhi is on? So that that was just one of the things I hadn't anticipated. That I, you know, I, I thought that defensively the lineups in the second quarter, especially, is where that game turned. They had a forty-point quarter. The Clippers did then, um, but with as sloppy as they were on offense and with 
the mistakes of just matching up KCP with Kawhi and giving up so many points in such a short period of time. They scored 12 straight shots because along with that, you've got Lou and Harold doing their thing off of ball screens. And they were just just killing a probably relatively weak bench. There was a stretch where Vogel turned to Troy Daniels and I looked out on the floor and I thought to myself, who is Troy Daniels supposed to guard right now? And you know who he was on? <laughs> who was he on? He was on Lou Williams. Yeah, man. Good luck with that. There is never a scenario where that should be a defensive matchup that you have to turn to. That's the best argument for Alex Caruso, by the way. Not necessarily just defending Lou Williams, because Lou's just amazing and he's going to score. But the 12 straight buckets in that second quarter that really flipped the game, like for as bad as Caruso was on the offensive end in the preseason, he was he's our best defensive guard on the team. Like I, I would argue that he's a better defensive guard than Avery Bradley. I'm not counting Danny Green. Danny Green's a better defender, but he's kind of a wing defender. But Caruso... It, it, at the very least, even if you don't agree with me about Avery Bradley, he's a lot better defensively than Cook, Troy Daniels, you know, Rondo. Yeah, Vogel said today that Caruso was available. He's also coming off that sort of hip issue from that fall sure. he had in, in the last preseason game. I also said in my recap as well that I understand Vogel not necessarily turning to Caruso in a game where he felt like two of the things he needed from his perimeter players were shooting and ball handling against ball pressure. And so if you were to talk about two of the lesser parts of Caruso's game. It's his ability to, to knock down the three-point shot and his ability to effectively handle the ball against really high ball pressure mm -hmm. players. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Cook isn't much better like against that ball pressure and Daniels isn't going to do any of that, right? And neither is Bradley. Or KCP. Or KCP. But when you look at Cook and Daniels especially, they're much more proven shooters than Caruso is. And, and so I sort of understand the idea of Vogel thinking that what was most important was offense. I could see what his argument was for it. It's just that like yes. we were getting cooked, man. We gave up 40 points in that second quarter and 12 straight buckets, just mostly off of perimeter attacks. Right. And so just like, yeah, if, if Caruso's not the greatest shooter, not the greatest ball handler against ball pressure. Like, give the ball to Anthony Davis, give the ball to LeBron, give the ball to your primary ball handlers. Anyway, that's what basically what was happening yeah. with Cook and Troy Daniels out there anyway. It's not like you're getting that at that much higher of a level with Cook and Daniels. So I don't want to rant against Vogel here, but I'm going to say this flat out. Doc Rivers outcoached him. Yes, he did. Like, that's just a fact. And I don't think that that's like some big scarlet letter that Vogel has to wear either, right? Like, this happens. Doc Rivers is a good coach. He's won a championship. He's won two coach of the years. Like, he's a, he's a really good NBA coach. It's no shame to say that in this game, you got outcoached. But the things that Doc Rivers did on the margins, like, hey, we're going to turn up ball pressure this game. We're going to play to our strength. We're, we're going to pressure the ball full in three-quarter court. So we're going to wear down LeBron. We're going to wear out Anthony Davis. We're going to pressure the rest of the Lakers guards who aren't good ball handlers. We're going to switch defensively, pick and rolls. We're, we're going to go under, under, under. We're going to then clog the paint. 
we're going to do all of these things to sort of disrupt the flow of what they want to do. And if that turns into this rock fight, I like my team in and a rock fight. And Vogel really didn't tweak anything or make any adjustments. He didn't say, all right, well, we're going to start setting backcourt screens, right, to free up the ball handler. We're going to plant Dwight Howard at half court and we're going to get high ball screens, right? Like we're going to back everything up. And if you're going to pressure the ball, guess what we're going to do? We're going to start setting, we're going to start running pick and rolls at half court. Like we're going to start to do things a little bit different and switch things up. It's very reminiscent to me of watching for two two and a half games where the question that you asked Vogel at the scrum about top locking and adjustments because like we hadn't seen them. And then the next game after you asked that, there were a bunch of adjustments to that. You could tell that they had worked on it. I just feel like Vogel didn't have the tweaks like in the moment to that. And I'll give him some leeway with that. The part where I give him less leeway is some of the preordained stuff. Like, yeah, we're going to try KCP on Kawhi. Like, no, that's a bad, bad idea. If you sort of know that Caruso isn't going to play and that Rondo is out, which I think he knew that because he went to Daniels early, right? It, w- it was a choice to go to Daniels early and he could have gone to Caruso. Caruso had played way more during the preseason than Daniels, but he went to Daniels. And so I think that that wasn't a feel thing. I'd, I'd love to know if it was, but it didn't feel like that to me, that he was sort of going off of his gut. I just feel like he needed to then start to tweak in his mind based on the flow of the game. Hmm, I need to sort of change this up a little bit. Let me maybe pull out green a little bit earlier. Let me go to some of these different lineups. But he didn't. And his team suffered for it, especially in the second quarter defensively, when he really went to more offensive base lineups and his defense got cooked. Yeah. And you're always, as a coach, going to have to make those in the moment type of decisions, right? And those in the moment types of adjustments. So that's not something that, you know, like, yes, it's just one game. And yes, you need more of a sample, of course, but it's something to keep an eye on. That said, that Clippers team is really, really good. That was a high-end basketball game. It was very competitive. And even in the loss, it made me be like, all right, yeah, this Lakers team's really good. Like, just give them health, health and they'll be good. Because they did a lot of things wrong. The only, like, real outlier thing that went in their favor was Danny Green going nuts. And he's not going to play like that every game. But a lot of the other things, including their two superstars and that synergy, as we talked at the top of the show, was not what it will be on an average night. So there's plenty to be optimistic about, even in the loss. This Lakers team is going to be good. Curious to see them on Friday against Utah. And then after that, they've got a really favorable stretch. So um, yeah, until then, it's been great recording our second podcast of the week. Thank you so much for the support that's gotten us to this point. Uh, We will be recording again probably Sunday night, but we'll have to talk about that. And until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tipped to Magic, Worthy dies on his belly, Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. 
Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around it. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you that's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Unbelievable. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?